You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. And remember, we've got rules and regulations. Yes, rules and regulations for 21st Century Radio. We require uh, jackets and ties for all men. And women have to wear Krenlins and 7-inch heels and have to have Tonys. you got to wear all of those things, friends. It's no smoking, too. You can't smoke. Rules and regulations. And we have further rules and regulations. What are they? Now I know you know what they are. First of all, we are not alone in the universe. Repeat after me. We are not alone in the universe. That's right. And never have been. No, we never have been. There's a lot of folks out there. They're not even in physical bodies. They're all over the place. They're all over the place right here. You see them in my studio. Now, that's number one. Number two, rules and regulations, is that what we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, probably not to some of our skeptical friends in PSYCOP. They don't necessarily feel that we even have global warming yet. Well, they'll, ca- they'll catch you on. They'll catch you on. And finally, human beings are not machines. Have you noticed that? It's true. Yeah, well, there might be a few. There might be a few. I can think of a few. <laughs> yes. However, however, all human beings come with an, an immortal ingredient. Ingredients, as they used to say on Bob, oh, no, Jack Benny's show. Jack Benny, ingredients. Oh. And you can call it spirit, you can call it soul, you can call it whatever you want to, but it's immortal. Now, now you've got all, with, you're qualified now to listen to 21st Century Radio, and it's free, absolutely free, except for us. <laughs> yes, we make sure we have to get paid. Well, we don't get paid, but we pay. All right, now, now that we got all these rules and regulations ready, I'm going to give you some information about the book that we're going to talk about the entire two hours. We seldom do this, friends. We seldom do this, but this is an important work. It's called The Parapsychology Revolution. It reminds me of, uh, who's that guy who played Reds? Reds in the movie Reds? Well, this is a revolution, friends. It's ongoing. It ain't stopped yet. American is actually in the middle of a revolution. It is a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research. It's a compilation and commentary by Dr. Robert Schock. Dr. Robert Schock has joined us maybe about 427 times. And this is written with, now this is going to be tough, Logan Yanovyak. No, 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 I didn't get it right. No, my producer, is it? Ya nav yak no yak close enough she says but i got no cigar got got no corona on that one all right friends well i'll i'll uh, we'll check that out a little later on but let me give you some information that you can find on the back of this book because they did a real good job this is uh, Torture Penguin. These are friends. That, oh, remember remember Jeremy Torture who used to join us on 21st Century Radio? Well, It says, grounded in scientific acumen and constructive inquiry, this anthology shines a rare, clarifying light on the controversial realms of psychical and paranormal research, collecting key reports, essays, and arguments from more than 
a century of investigation into matters such as clairvoyance, telepathy, and poltergeist activity. Now, what does our dear friend Sally, Dr. Sally Rhinefeather, have to say about this? Here's what she says. Quote, A remarkably comprehensive overview with a broad study of the paranormal, tied together by balanced and thoughtful commentary, a must-read for the serious student of the paranormal and open-minded skeptic alike. That was Sally Rhinefeather. I imitated her voice. You may have noticed that. Now, who is this alleged Dr. Robert M. Schock? Well, he is a full-time faculty member at the College of General Studies at Boston University since 1984. That's a previous incarnation from Texas. I just popped in there. Me and Willie Nelson hanging down there. He earned his Ph.D. in geology and geophysics at Yale University. Wow! I wonder if he's a member of Skull and Bones. Well, we'll find out in just a few minutes. He is the author most recently of Pyramid Quest, a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Now, Logan, I'm not even going to attempt the last name pronunciation because I must have got it wrong or my, my producer would have said something. Logan has been active with the Rhine Research Center in Durham, North Carolina the nation's premier facility for studying the paranormal. And I'm going to say hello to Logan first. Logan, are you there? Yeah, hi. Hi, Have I embarrassed you enough, Logan? (laughs) No. No, I haven't. Now, can you... You almost got my last name right. Almost? Yes. Okay, but you pronounce it for us, please? Yanovyak. Of course, Yanovyak. I knew that now. And is this uh, Dr. Shock? Is he still there? I'm here. How have you been, Bob? Good. Good to hear your voice. And your pitching arm's doing well? You ready for the, the upcoming series? Oh, I guess so. <laughs> you, you guess so. You better really get yourself so. in shape. With a book like this, you're going to get yourself in trouble, Bob. Oh. <laughs> well, you've never been I in... feel like I've done that before. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Another lifetime, I imagine. Not in this lifetime, though, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay, well, this is an important book, friends. And that's the reason why we decided it was important to have them on for both hours. That's unusual these days. Now, Robert, what have you been doing lately besides, before we get into this book? What have I been doing besides? No, yeah, what have you been doing? Well, I, you know, I, how should I say it? I don't, wanna, I don't want anyone to think that I have forgotten about the Sphinx and the Pyramid and Egypt and ancient ruins and all that type of stuff. So I continue with that. Um, we're trying to get a group of geologists together. You remember John Anthony West. How could I forget Uncle exactly. John? Exactly. How could you forget him at all? Oh. No one could. Um, we're, getting, we're working on getting, getting a panel of geologists together to continue the um, studies of the Sphinx and the redating of the Sphinx, that type of thing. And I continue to be interested in ancient monuments around the world, so I continue that research. In fact, I think that ties right in with the... Um, research on parapsychology. Why is that? Why is that? Why? Well, because I, what I found, something that I was asking myself, I found myself wondering about for years, what, you know, looking at the Great Pyramid, looking at other ancient structures, is what is the purpose of these? And, you know, it's, the Great Pyramid, we've talked about this before, it's certainly not just a big glorified tomb. Oh, of course it is. Yeah. I mean, that's but ridiculous. No, of course it is. That's all it has <laughs> right, it right, is, right. that's all it ever has been. Yeah, that, Logan, yeah, Logan you, you believe that, right? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm talking to Logan now. <laughs> Logan, Logan, you know it was only a, it was just built for one vainglorious fo- 
photo, I called it almost, Pharaoh. <laughs> right, that's exactly it. That's all there was uh, yeah. to it. Now, you got to understand she's been there with me, so. <laughs> well, then that's a problem in itself that's because you, you itself. probably, now her her reputation is now besmirched. I, I can I can see uh, I can see some of my friends over there. You know, God bless Zahi Hawass and, and those right. other folks. He, he knows the truth. He knows the truth. And I, I had to deal with him back in 1980. You can imagine what. Oh, <laughs> it's I can like imagine that. absolutely. That was some, absolutely. And, and thank heavens it was uh, Anwar Sadat that introduced us. Uh, if it weren't for that, I think uh, I would have gotten in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> all right, now let's. So get... anyway, you know, looking at all these ancient structures around the world, um, getting serious now. The question is, what are they being used for? What's going on? And so many of them, I'm convinced, have at least something to do with um, rituals, initiation, what we might say in modern terms, altered states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So you can see where that ties in with, uh, you know, really looking into the paranormal and psychical research. Well, I'm so glad you went into this area because I've always loved the quality of research that you've done. Thank uh, you. It, it's really made you've made major differences and in, in, in various areas. And I'm just so surprised that that um, that no, I guess I shouldn't be because Egypt moves. They don't move slowly. They <laughs> they just don't move. I mean, they just don't know, move. Modern yeah. Egypt. Yeah, and it's yeah. very unfortunate in this research. And you know, we would have thought back in 1992, 1993, 1994, five, etc. That oh, yeah. that they would have really discussed this issue and uh, without trying to BS us. But unfortunately, I'm afraid they can't. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. yeah, ten, fifteen years ago, we never thought. How should we say this little progress would have been made? That's right on that front. But I bet you Logan thought so. Right, Logan? <laughs> Didn't you feel almost right away? <laughs> that the, Sorry, what? I said, don't you think that uh, the, the progress in, in, in the area of research in the, the monuments in Egypt is uh, going especially slow? I'm surprised. Um, yeah, I'm surprised that it's been so slow. And um, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that the Sphinx was built much earlier than previously imagined by... Um, by Egyptologists. So. Well, it's time to get pretty serious about this yeah. area called parapsychology and the paranormal. Because as soon as I'm saying something like paranormal and parapsychology, I can see, I, I'm used to it seeing uh, in the people's minds these days, of course, Bob. And I can see yeah. there's, there's, some, there's a group over there in Hamden that's saying, yep, now Bigfoot, aliens, right, exactly. and, and, the, and our friends in, in Glen Burnie. Now are saying, yeah, it's all about UFOs, yeah, and such. But uh, let's find out what what we really do. We really mean when we talk about the paranormal. Yeah, what what we really focus on in this book, and I'll let um, Logan chime in in a second too. We really focus on classic, genuine, what I would call genuine paranormal phenomena, and the core of that is. Um, Essentially, the modern term is telepathy, mind-to-mind, communication, interaction, you know, without the use of the known senses. Um, so telepathy related to that clairvoyance, um, premonitions, that type of phenomena. Sometimes those are referred to as mental phenomena uh, within the psychical or paranormal realm. And then the other aspect is mind-over-matter issues, um, referred to as psycho or PK for short, and really within that category, PK is micro-PK, for instance, the long t- 
time uh, studies at places like Princeton, the Pair Laboratories, Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Laboratories, which unfortunately just closed down. Yeah. Um, but that was a funding issue, and that had nothing to do with the research per se. It had to do with other issues. Um, but the micro PK studies on random event generators, on dice tossing in a more um, macroscopic scale, uh, but things like that. And then the other aspect is macro PK and very well documented cases of poltergeist incidents, um, which both of us were very skeptical about at first. I have to admit, I've witnessed a minor poltergeist incident myself um, since I got involved in this research. That'll that'll convince you already. I will convince you, but there's there's very very good documentation of poltergeist incidents, and also not just that they occur, but they occur with um, regular patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, you know uh, the incidence of occurrences drop off, as one would expect, with distance from the person that seems to be the center of the activity. You know, so again, one thing that I found and I'll let Logan make a comment in a second, is that, you know, when you start sorting out the fraud, you start sorting out all the nonsense, you get down to the core, genuine, I'll call it paranormal um, phenomena, there are regularities, there are patterns that make sense. Now, it might be outside the bounds of normal science, but that doesn't man mean there aren't patterns and regularities. Mm -hmm. What would you like to add, Logan? Well, I, I guess generally um, parapsychology and paranormal and psychical research have had so many things lumped into them that people think of Bigfoot and they you know immediately associate that with paranormal or parapsychology. So I think um, Dr. Schock did a good, good job explaining um, ESP and PK and psychical research, the term psychical research is more um, usually associated with some of the earlier studies, which we'll get into later, um, that the SPR, the Society for Psychical Research, um, uh, started studying back in the 1800s, the late 1800s, and parapsychology was actually um, thrown in as a term in the, around the 1930s with J.B. Ryan when he tried to um, take out survival research and just focus on ESP and PK. Um, and then in the 1940s, uh, the term psi was actually used by um, Sue Les and Wiesner to describe um, ESP and PK under a general category. So instead of using parapsychology, it's just another confusing term, but it's psi. So um, mm -hmm. you'll hear us refer to all of those terms as we talk. Yeah, and I also would add in that uh, some things that people call paranormal, like Bigfoot, I mean, that's really a whole different category, um, sometimes referred to as cryptozoology, um, more or less. There's nothing particularly paranormal about a Bigfoot. If, you, if we should in the future capture a Bigfoot, it's just a new species, a un previously unknown species. Well, I have always liked uh, the work of Dr. Grover Krantz in this mm -hmm. particular area, and, and unfortunately he passed on more yeah. recently. Yeah. And uh, I think um, if he'd still be alive... Uh, the, that that area would continue to grow and develop along, of course, along with uh, Lauren Coleman and Absolutely. others who have done terrific jobs. And, yeah, exactly. And that exactly. type of thing. Now we're going to take a break here, and uh, when we return, uh, we're going to find out a little bit about why you guys decided to put your necks on the chopping block here. Yeah. 
because <laughs> there, there really is there it really is uh when when I talk about these kind of things with my friends at Hopkins or and elsewhere they're still living in 1946 uh, uh some of them unfortunately yeah. uh but so we'll find out why you're doing that and I'm glad you are with our guest uh, we're going to call call him this is the Bob and Logan Show here on 21st Century Radio, and the book is called The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research by Tarcher Books. Please go to robertshock.com, spelled Robert, S-C-H-O-C-H. S-C-H-O-C-H dot com. Or go to 21stCenturyRadio.com and click on this week's show at the top right-hand corner. We're righties. Hello, this is Ingo Swan, the author of Penetration, The Question of Extraterrestrial and Human Telepathy. And you're listening to the wonderful 21st Century Radio with the amazing Dr. Bob Hieronymus. Well, hey, this is 21st Century Radio. It really is. I'm what's left of Dr. Bob Hieronymus in this incarnation and uh, Dr. Robert Schock and Logan Yanovyuk. Did I get it right? I hope I did. Yes, The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research torture books. And please go to the website, robertschock, S-C-H-O-C-H dot com. Now, we touched on this a little bit uh, about why you became interested in, in doing this book, uh, particularly uh, going out on a limb and putting a book on this particular subject. And, and you know, friends, as I've said before, and this is kind of shocking in itself, there are Americans that, that think the Statue of Liberty, the Liberty Bell, and the American Eagle are, are all satanic. Did you hear me? This is true. Now, if they think that these things are satanic, imagine what they're going to think of, of the paranormal. Well... Uh, how would you like to begin this, Robert? Um, well, I, I guess there's several there's several sort of lines of why I got involved with this, and then I'll let Logan um, comment on her involvement. Uh, but one is it ties in, in my mind, very clearly with the ancient monuments, and I think, you know, to be blunt, some of the ancient monuments at least were being used to, should we say, almost as machines, and I hate to use that term, but it comes to mind at the moment, to sort of increase the probability of paranormal phenomena or sort of to induce paranormal phenomena. And I'm talking in terms of ritualistic practices, mm -hmm. um, initiation rites, that type of thing, where I think there was a component when you start looking at the ancient literature, like um, the Egyptian literature, the little that we have survived, that, that supports this. So I became very interested in it from that point of view, because, you know, was this just something that they were saying or could there be some reality to it? Also, I have a degree in anthropology um, at undergraduate level, and even when I was saying anthropology, um, among indigenous traditional cultures and societies, you keep seeing what seem to be paranormal phenomena popping up. These are generally just dismissed by modern academics as, you know, their hallucinations, their delusions. But I always had this nagging feeling, well, could there be something to it? And then I have to give Logan credit. She really got me looking at this further. And we've talked about this before in other contexts. I, I like to try to be someone that if I'm looking into something, I call it the way I see it. And I start looking into um, this whole business of the paranormal and parapsychology. Honestly, going into it, I was incredibly skeptical. Um, 
But I have to admit, there's something to it. At mm-hmm. least I'm convinced there's something to it. And not only is there something to it, but it's non-trivial. I think it's incredibly important and really expands our view of the world, our view of the cosmos, our view of what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think mean, that's it's important a... enough. You, you have to stand for what's sort of true. Mm-hmm. Well, Logan, so uh, you pushed uh, uh, Uncle Bob here into a, a tough, a tough uh, between a rock and a hard place. Is this correct? Well, he did have tenure, so he had a little more. He was a little more liberal of what he could publish and what he couldn't. But um, yeah, I came in. I I came across a book. Um, actually, it was given to me by my mother. It was called The Field. Oh yes, McTaggart. Yeah, I was really yeah. impressed by it. And to be honest, I had not really thought about um, parapsychology at all um, in mo- throughout most of my adult life. In, until I came across this book and really started, I read it and was really intrigued and um, decided to present it to Dr. Schock just to see what he thought about it. And he had the idea to do some research and see if we could get something published just in terms of a survey of what had been done, um, just kind of as, as an exploratory uh, project, but also just because he thought other people might be interested. And um, he was at liberty to do so. Like I said, he had uh, some flexibility just because of his position. And um, I also uh, started thinking back, and my dad actually took me to several events at the Rhine Center in Durham, which um, was affiliated with Duke University back in the 30s. Um, Dr. J.B. Rhine is one, kind of touted as the father of modern parapsychology. He started, um, he was largely responsible for the experimental work that was started in the 30s. but. That institute is in Durham, North Carolina, and they're actually still operating. Um, and he took me to several uh, paranormal support group uh, <laughs> sessions when I was younger, and I had forgotten about them. But once I started talking to Dr. Shock about parapsychology, it kind of um, my da- and I started talking to my dad. It, he kind of brought up that we'd already um, had some experiences together, and he'd taken me some of those talks. So anyway, that's kind of how I got interested. And um, I initially was very skeptical as well, and just upon reading some of the research that's been done, I have to say there's so many interesting implications for what these topics mean for what it means to be human and what our boundaries really are with one another and with um, potentially other um, organisms and the cosmos and, and whatnot. So it's a very fascinating field. Well, it is fascinating. I remember when I was a, a Lord Bertrand Russellite, and I was a logical positivist back in the old days. I used to laugh at this. I thought this was the funniest stuff in the world. I thought it was one of those rubber crutches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, that's how we were trained. Oh, yes, indeed. I was, I was trained like a good animal. Yeah. And and that's what I used to. And then when I had a poltergeist experience, the same as different, probably a little different than Bob's. Yeah. Uh, but when a candle, a candlestick on my table that was sitting in the middle of the table moved itself and fell off the table and I was the only person up in this rat trap of a study um, and I'm sure the rats didn't jump on the table and carry it off <laughs> right. that I, and I was in the bathtub when all this happened wow. it, it changed my life yeah, exactly. all of a sudden of course I've went to other psychologists and psychiatrists they thought you know oh Hieronymus what the hell's wrong with you so <laughs> you know so this is a really important area uh, in regards to a number of things and of course there has been over the past 100 or so years some some serious study of it, and it's uh, there at times uh, there has been some fraud in this research, and that's one of the good things about this book, friends. They don't dodge the issue that there have been or has been some fraud in these areas. But uh, what is the history of the 
serious study of the paranormal? Well, the serious study actually goes back um, to the 19th century. I mean, people were interested in including, you know, back... You can trace serious individuals that were trying to look at the paranormal back to at least the 17th century. But, you know, you also had the concept of witches and, you know, everything else was going on, so it's very confused. Um, But the modern research and the paranormal really goes back to the founding of the Society for Psychical Research in 1882. And this was a group of very well-educated men and women um, in England who founded um, this society in 1882 specifically to look at what we now call paranormal phenomena. They usually used the term psychical at the time. And these were, you know, well-educated philosophers, physicists, humanists, um, uh, lawyers, theologians, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, a very elite group. And the Society for Psychical Research um, still is in existence, still is carrying on its work, still publishing the journal and the proceedings. And one thing we looked at was their early work in the first um, few decades of their existence, the late 19th, early 20th century, and it's amazing how the quality of the work they were doing. They were applying statistical studies um, to uh, paranormal uh, phenomena. Uh, They were carrying out experiments. They were documenting cases of uh, uh, paranormal phenomena, what we would call spontaneous cases, and not taking things on faith. They were not Um, just accepting anything that came along. In fact, they were accused in their history many times and still are accused of being, quote, skeptics because they won't accept just any old story about paranormal phenomena Um, that has to really be well documented. But they've documented now in over 125 years of existence an incredible number of very well documented cases and also carried out um, very good lab research or sponsored very good lab research. Logan, I do believe there was a not not that I do believe I know for a fact that that there there were some some areas in which there were oh what do you call it uh, fraud that 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 um, this particular group uh, SPR focused on and weeded out. Can you tell us about just one? Well, I would actually defer that question to Doctor Shock. He spent more time researching the earlier work, so. I yeah, what, one one thing. Well, one thing that um, uh, Logan, uh, I, actually, you should pick up in a second with uh, the Ryan. You mentioned them a little bit, but one thing that was happening was um, that a lot of the early work was tied in with seances, old classic nineteenth-century style seances. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that many of these were absolutely abysmal from a scientific point of view, and what you get is. Um, blatant fraud in some cases, and they exposed many cases of blatant fraud. And um, uh, one group in particular, one clientele, should we say, that um, was very interested in the whole para- what we now call paranormal phenomena were the um, classic spiritualists. And they were quite upset when some of their um, uh, prime spiritualists, channelers, we might call them now, were exposed as frauds. Um, but in other cases, they found that certain mediums, um, you know, they could be studied very carefully and, and the phenomena were genuine. And then you get into a gray area, 
And this has been typical for certain types of phenomena in certain individuals who seem to possess, should we say, paranormal gifts or powers, is that in some cases they seem to be real, but in other cases the same individual is not, is not above committing fraud, mm-hmm. uh, which has been a perplexing problem and is probably, a, I, I think, a deep-rooted psychological problem. Um, in the field, when you start relying on particular individuals that seem to have um, paranormal powers, which is one reason that a lot of serious studies have gone to looking at spontaneous cases among, quote, ordinary people, um, or looking at laboratory work. And, and Logan, maybe talk a little bit about uh, J.B. Ryan, because he was really, he, he had some very bad experiences with mediums. Um, yeah, in fact, um, one of the first things that Ryan did when he became interested in studying paranormal um, phenomenon is he went to a few of the seances and um, actually wanted to see firsthand the work that some of the mediums were doing. And, and one of his first experiences, and the name of the medium escapes me, but... Marjorie. Um, oh, yes, Marjorie. Yeah. Oh, sorry. The prob- exactly. He actually... Um, when he went to, to witness the event, he thought it was a blatant um, problem of fraud and actually refused to admit that he, you know, refused to um, say that he thought something legitimate was going on. He actually thought it was fraud, fraudulent, and that actually caused um, some rifts within the uh, spiritualism community, and they all, you know, expected him to um, bow down and say, well, that it was legitimate, and he refused to do so, and he actually took that experience and it propelled him into wanting to bring, try and bring parapsychology into the laboratory and just focus on what he thought could be studied um, objectively and, and what he thought to be objectively with the uh, card guessing experiments and other forms of experiments that he developed um, based on his experiences with fraud. So he actually took those uh, very seriously and was, was very quick to um, expose fraud when he came across it several times. Um, that happened in his laboratory, um, where one example was um, in a, an experiment with a man named, um, a researcher named Smith, who was uh, found, you know, actually had messed with some of the experimental data and had, 20 years later, was actually, it was, show, it was one of the touted um, pieces of evidence for telepathy, and it turned out that it was fraudulent, and Ryan immediately reported it even though um, it didn't look good for his lab. So. Well, obviously... Um, yeah, one, one thing he, I'd point out is a lot of the skeptics, they'll, they'll pick up on a one or two cases of fraud mm-hmm. in the field yeah. and try to dismiss everything. But in fact, I mean, put it bluntly, you have fraud in every field. The medical field is... Oh, how can you say that? Oh, yeah, right. I mean, come on. I know. I'm really going out of limb here. I'm really going out of limb here. Yeah, those pharmaceutical companies wouldn't ever attempt. No, never, never. They only have our best interest. Yeah, and they certainly aren't going to charge us. They'll only charge us what's really necessary for the creation. I know. Exactly. But as Logan just pointed out, um, it's really been, despite what certain skeptics and debunkers want to try to claim, it's really been the parapsychologists and the researchers of the paranormal themselves that have been the ones that have weeded out fraud among their ranks, have been the first to point out fraud. Um, you know, you, you, I, 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 one thing I've found is that there's a very, 
among serious researchers, um, there's a very strong level of integrity. Mm-hmm. And they're not afraid to call it the way they see it. And when they see fraud, even if it looks bad for themselves, they'll, they'll call it. Well, that's that's called integrity, and of course, that's what we're, you're supposed to do in the scientific method. You're, exactly, you're exactly. <laughs> I would say, after studying and being involved with different aspects of science, I mean, uh, the I'm impressed that uh, the parapsychological community, from the beginning, from the 1880s on, really is following what people think of as the ideal of the scientific method. Um, yet, yet it's such a controversial issue. Um, well, it's going to people get, that they just won't look at the evidence. The, well, you think it's tough in this area. You should get to the area of UFOs. Oh, absolutely. That, I mean, you know, there, you just say that, and, and people are just going to lock you up. Exactly. So, uh, we're, and to avoid being locked up, we're going to take a break here, friends. Uh, no mo contendere, as our vice president Spiro Agnew said, as he received two hundred thousand dollars under the table. Uh, <laughs> some of the history of. <laughs> Maryland here, and we're going to take our break here. And when we come back, uh, we're going to we're going to ask Logan for the what is. We'll begin with her on the best evidence for the paranormal or psi phenomena. We'll get the best. I'll be back here on 21st Century Radio with Dr. Robert Schock and Logan Yanovic. No, Yanovic. No, Yanovic. Something. Look, this incarnation, I didn't take French. And uh, enough, that is. So that, that there's my excuse there. The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research. Torture books, Robert Schock, S-C-H-O-C-H dot com. Hike! This is Dr. Sally Ryan Feather, the daughter of Dr. J.B. and Louisa Ryan that started the ESP research at Duke University. And I have just appeared on the Bob Hieronymus show. I think this kind of radio does so much for the public. It brings them information where they can get no other way. That's right. You know what the fan said in the air conditioner, don't you? Said, I... Oh, yeah, I'm not going to say it. No. This is 21st Century Radio, and um, our guests are Dr. Robert Schock and Logan Yanovyuk. The Parapsychology Revolution is the book. Yeah, we've said it 14 times, but we want you to get a copy of this book. It's Rules and Regulations 506 of the Penal Code. It's just that simple. All right. Now, it is a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research. It's published by Tartar Books. And again, go to robertshock.com, S-C-H-O-C-H.com. Logan, would you please um, give us the best evidence for the paranormal or psi phenomena within the next eight seconds? <laughs> eight seconds. That's okay. all you got. Come on, if you can't spit it out, then then, then it doesn't exist. Well, you're wasting my eight seconds. Oh, uh, that's it. Time's up. All right, now, uh, Bob, since... <laughs> <laughs> you weren't kidding, were you? I'm never kidding. No, I'm no, okay. about I, I, I give my time to Logan. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, I would say the most exciting, the most exciting psychic phenomena that that I think Dr. Shock both and I both think is true is, is the spontaneous cases that we've read about, and really that that started the um, the, the Society for Psychical Research wanting to examine. Um, psychical phenomena is obviously from spontaneous cases, and some people even call it the natural subject matter, um, because it really is uh, unique in that, you know, um, 
spontaneous cases offer different information about the phenomena that you just can't get in the laboratory. And it's arguable that psychic phenomena are difficult to bring into the laboratory because they're difficult to um, put under control in the way that we usually think of um, scientific phenomena. To, and so I would say um, a lot of the authentic um, spontaneous cases give some of the best subject matter and they're the most intriguing. Um, and in terms of the experimental work, I would point uh, first to Dr. J.B. Ryan's work with the card-guessing experiments. And essentially, um, the, the most well-known card-guessing experiments stem from the Zener cards, which are those wacky symbols that um, a lot of people may have been exposed to. They've got the cross um, and the wavy lines and the star and the circle and square. You got them. What he would do is um, have people guess in um, 25 trials of just guessing to see which card they would pick from the five symbols. And by chance, it would be five that you would choose out of 25. But it turned out that over many, many trials, it became statistically significant, whereas people would usually guess more than five um, over many, many trials. And that seems to be pretty solid evidence that there was something going on. Um, and then the second... Um, work that I would point to would be the pair laboratory research, with, which is more PK, um, the, again, the mind over matter. This is called micro-PK. And what the pair laboratory did over a cor the course of 30 years of work is um, work with random event generators. And what random event generators do is um, you have an, a random event generator uh, generating a series of binary numbers, 0 and 1, um, on a random basis. Um, continuously, and they'll have a subject trying to influence the pattern of ones and zeros that turn up. And over the course of millions of trials, they had a statistically significant um, number of people be able to influence the uh, random event generator to not be random in that it, they were able to um, make it have more zeros or more ones um, than it would normally on its own. So. Those two experiments, I would say, are the most um, convincing in terms of um, experimental work. Well, they certainly are. And one of the problems, uh, of course, is uh, in, in this particular area of research is a lack of money uh, to, to continue research. Uh, th right. this, is, this is really crazy because, <laughs> because this is some of the most important knowledge on the planet today. Uh, and uh, we just can't get the big corporations to come in and, and put down a couple million dollars so these things can continue. That's well, a, I'm so sorry, I'm, go ahead. There's actually, um, someone did um, research how much money has actually been put into parapsychology, and I think by 1983, the equivalent amount of um, money that has gone into parapsychology as, a, as um, opposed to psychology is two months worth of research money. And, um, so basically, so much money, only two months worth of research money has gone into parapsychology as psychology has had over the course of like 100 years. So um, yeah, there really is no funding. Yeah, basically, what, yeah, 100 years worth of parapsychological funding is equivalent to two months or so in, in normal psychology. It's just incredible. It's actually absolutely amazing that as much research has been done in parapsychology given the lack of funding. 
Well, do you think that it sounds like a bunch of politicians are handling all this? Because I'm yeah. afraid they don't want people to, <laughs> to, yeah, I, to know I think, this stuff. I, I think I mean, there's both a, a sort of a fear and repulsion and also um, on several levels. I mean, one, people are just indoctrinated that this can't be. And then I think there's a real fear that what if it is the case? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people all of a sudden think mind control, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, there's a lot we could say about that, but... We don't have enough time. We have too many other things that we need to cover. And, and, and But I do want to mention that fact. that. Uh, but then again, there are such things as, as, as you mentioned, fraud. And one of the things I enjoyed about reading uh, as various aspects of the book dealt with finding out that there were Rhine-type calling, card-calling experiments that, that were um, fraudulent in the sense that there was um, decks of decks of these cards that were created so that you could cheat. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's another problem. There's been explicit fraud. Um, and, you know, that that's a whole complex psychological problem in itself, why people commit fraud. Um, you know, I think it has to do with uh, people wanting attention to themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, certainly, yeah, I hate to say it, but, you know, the, the paranormal seems to attract a certain, Certain people are attracted to the paranormal, that they can take advantage of, you know, pretending or, you know, being mm-hmm. fraudulent, being charlatans, and playing on people's gullibility. Well, what if, but, say, but for, you have that in every field, unfortunately. Oh, certainly you do. But what, That's what the if, thing? What if, what if you're here? You are. You've got to perform on stage every night, exactly. and you just ain't got it that night. That's right. That's I don't right. think you're going to say to the the folks out there, "I ain't got it tonight, friend." So, no, hang it up. They, I think that that's where sometimes I think that you're definitely yeah. right. That's where that, it comes in a lot. And I've talked with Ingo Swan about it, Yuri Geller about it, and a yeah. number of other individuals. Exactly. Not that they do that. It's just no, that they've no. related to me because this work can get boring. It really can. <laughs> I wanted to draw attention. To- well, you're going to have to draw attention to it as soon as we get back, dear, because I've, I've wiped out all the hour here. We'll be back with our guests, Robert Schock and Logan Yanovyuk. And the book is called The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research. It's published by Tarcher Books. Go to robertschock.com. And uh, our executive producer and research assistant who has pushed me down the steps 15 to 20 times in this incarnation to make sure we get this book done and that and I get myself out the door to get that biofuel into the, into the uh, Founding Fathers art car. That's Laura Cortner. And Jake Bryant, he's the guy that defends me. Guys need defense these days. Women know too much about the rabbit punch or the old one, too. She knows how to give you the old one, too. And, uh, well, we're talking about an important book here tonight. Yes, we are. And it's um, a book called The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research by Tarcher Books. And it's by Dr. Robert Schock and Logan Yanovyuk. Hey, did our, our engineer get his Jimi Hendrix book? He did. Okay. And, and, then, and if we had our engineer on the, on the radio right now, he'd tell you just how great that Jimi Hendrix book is. Yes, indeed. Jimi Hendrix, uh, he would love this stuff. Too bad Jimmy's not alive now. The limited conversations that we had, unfortunately, didn't get enough into the paranormal. They just got into UFOs and the reverse of the Great Seal and the Pyramid in the Eye and the Triangle and Atlantis. That's the kind of stuff he was interested in. And reincarnation. 
He took it for granted there that there was such thing as Psy and that kind of thing. Now, since everyone knows that the, they got to be dressed up, to, you know, what do you guys think about our? Um, what do you guys think about our way of making sure that our listeners are some of the the sharpest dressers in the planet? Oh, <laughs> I think it's very important how you dress when you're on the radio. Yes, it is. Absolutely, it is. It's, it's has yeah. it. What were you going to say there, Bob? No, I was going to say you have to look good on the radio. You got to. You got to. You got to. If you don't, Always. it's too embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. Now, animals. Animals. Uh, Bob, do the animals have, show any uh, an evidence of psi? Oh, yeah. In fact, um, I, I in some ways, um, another important, um, I would say very important um, line of evidence for psi is among animals. Because one thing about animals is, uh, as far as we know, they tend not to um, cheat and lie and, you know, Maybe no. Wait, wait a second, Bob. Maybe well, some of your animals don't cheat and lie. But we've got seven dogs, and I'll tell you, they cheat and lie all the time. Well, 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 I, when, 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 when you try to test them for sigh, they they conspire among themselves, and well, they can't even hold the cards right. Have you noticed that? That's one of the yeah. That that is a problem with them. They can but, keep flipping them over. But they really, they really do have. Um, yeah, yeah. There's some about lobsters. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake. Um, and in fact, Logan's uh, done some experiments, uh, not with animals, but with other things, with Rupert Sheldrake. But Rupert Sheldrake has done, for instance, a lot of uh, studies of um, a parrot, of um, dogs, that, as, as they say, seem to know when their um, masters are coming back. And mm-hmm. we're not talking about, well, you know, the person is coming back every night at 5 p.m. We're talking about, you know, uh, extended periods of time. There's no way for the animal to um, know, based on normal means, uh, when the person's coming back, yet they'll go to the door. You know, no one in the room, no one there expects the person back. The animal will insist, um, and you know, it's just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, uh, there's a lot of uh, suggestion that um, animals, or at least certain animals, uh, really have. How should we say? They don't have the same preconceptions about psi, about paranormal events. They don't have the same fear of it. Um, in fact, they may have it better developed than many humans. I know maybe Logan wants to add to that. Wait, before she does, uh, Logan, would you add something about dolphins and porpoise porpoise because they changed my life? Um, well, I don't have any specific animal experiments that I know of um, dealing with dolphins, though I'm sure people have had ex- interesting experiences with them. Um, but maybe you'd like to share because you brought it up. <laughs> well, I, I, they did change my life. I was one of those guys that actually believed that animals were things. <laughs> Can you believe that? Really? I mean, they were things. They were things. They were things that you fed. You know, and right, right. they ran around outside. You know, they didn't come in the house. Right. You know, uh, and and when and one of them, when they broke legs and had big problems, you threw them out. You know, real, really sensitive uh, yeah. kind of stuff here. Uh, but but animals obviously are a lot more, as we've covered on this program for the last twenty years. Uh, with various animal psychics, um, some accurate, some some not necessarily right. so accurate. Right. Oh, there's some people that seem to, and I, I'm convinced of this actually in a few cases, anecdotally, people I've known personally that seem to be able to, should we say, communicate with animals psychically. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least pick up things from them. I was going to say, I also want to throw out, before you get to the porpoises, um, sometimes something known as animal trailing. Logan, is that the correct term? It's side-trailing. Side-trailing in animals. That's why I meant side-trailing, where, you know, a classic case um, of an animal that is lost thousands of miles away from its home. It can 
figure out how to get back. I mean, how does it do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, how does it do that? Things like that. But go ahead, porpoises. Well, porpoises changed my life because when I found out that, that they may be uh, as intelligent as humans. More intelligent I, than some uh, humans, Or more so. I can think of some political folks right now that, that absolutely, really, they are far more intelligent than them. And they certainly would have made better decisions about rock and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, indeed, but I could not believe it. You know, of course, at first, uh, the work of Lilly, well, I think his name was John Lilly, mm-hmm. uh, and, and others, I mean, this was really scary stuff. You know, I thought we were the king of the planet, king of the universe, you know, and all of a sudden to have a porpoise. Um, uh, really being at the top head of the class uh, certainly certainly squelched my ego there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we yeah, could Yeah, I was going to say not just porpoises, but a lot of the large um, sea mammals. I mean, the cetaceans, um, sperm whales, for instance, or... Um, Wait, I don't know oh, if you can say that on a radio. Oh, God, yeah, I, I'm um, sorry. I, you know, well, you know, I Well, you'll I have to bleep me. it out or something. Okay. Um, but, but beluga whales, for instance, I mean, mm-hmm. I love that group, um... They're just incredibly intelligent. And also, you know, if you think about how far they migrate on a regular basis or, or just travel on a regular basis. Well, well, uh, you know, the thing is, is, is that uh, it seems that they seem to be conscious of much larger uh, parts of our universe than exactly. I ever thought. And, exactly. and it's unfortunate. I'm glad now that the Navy can't keep on doing their sound right. testing. And destroying them. Oh, we didn't do anything. There were just right. 400 beached whales over there. We had nothing to do with it. It's like no. those wrestlers. Remember the wrestlers in the ring? Every time right. and then they catch them and they throw their hands up and say, nope, I ain't got nothing in my hands. I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of yeah, thing it reminds crazy. me. So I'm glad the Navy can't do that. At least legally they're not. But that doesn't mean they're going to not do it. What about plants, uh, Logan? Well, um, this researcher named Cleve Baxter has done some work with plants. Um, and it's called biocommunication. And essentially, he hooked up a lie detector to a plant and was trying to test whether or not the plant responded to threatening um, thoughts about <laughs> essentially whether or not it was the plant was being threatened by the human. So he would think to himself, I'm going to burn your leaf. And the plant would register um, on the lie detector. Uh, and and he didn't really know how that was how that was occurring necessarily. But actually, before the show, Dr. Shock and I were um, postulating whether or not that might have just been him affecting the um, the apparatus himself through through some form of PK. That was just something we were tossing around. But uh, it's it's unclear whether or not that's um, legitimate. But then again, it, it's also very interesting evidence. Um, so. Maybe Dr. Shock has more to say about that. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Logan just brought up a much larger issue, which is a thorny issue for um, paranormal research. In many cases, you have a situation where you have very well-designed experiments. You get really nice results with one experimenter, but then another experimenter gets null results. And why is that? Is it because the experiment... I mean, when you're talking about something like psi and paranormal phenomena... Um, there may be a very large component coming from the individual who's running the experiment. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another complicating factor, which well, certainly doesn't negate the phenomenon at all. In fact, that's exactly what you would expect rationally if these are, um, given that these are phenomena, 
on generated essentially by consciousness, if I could use that term. No, you can't use that term no, here. No, no we're not going to. Okay. No, you got to watch your language okay. around But there it. is a lot of evidence, and the, the Baxter-type effects have been repeated consistently by other researchers where it seems that plants do have some level of, um, at least one interpretation is that they have some level of awareness, should we say. Brother Clive has been doing this a long time. He has. He first did this in the 60s. Yeah. He, he discovered it by accident. Um, he was actually originally just, I think, playing around. Um, well, he did, originally just attached um, a GSR, which is a galvanic skin response, to the leaf of a plant, and he was not doing this to search for sh- for Psy, but to see if um, watering the plant as the water rose the stem into the leaf, he was just doing another experiment and essentially kind of came across this idea of, um, or came across the, the more the Psy experiment. But um, I don't. I wanted to just add that maybe um, even if plants, maybe because plants don't have nervous systems, um, other um, more organized forms of life may be exhibiting um, this type of response. But I, I'm just not sure if it's it's plants per se. But um, well, I am. <laughs> Well, if you sure. <laughs> well, it's my show. I mean, of course, yeah. No, but I'll, actually, I'll, I'm, I apologize. Obviously, I'm kidding. I was thinking about a dear, dear friend of mine, who was the best man of our wedding, uh, Christopher Bird and and uh, Peter Tompkins. Um, All right. Uh, these guys. Yeah, sure. We, we used to. We we had a member. We had a secret society, and I'm going to right. announce it on the air. Yes, we did, and uh, we um, we were had the order of the paper clip. And we would um, we would cause havoc at New Age <laughs> functions. Oh, yeah? Yes, we would. <laughs> we would because you know we were skeptical. I mean, you know, sure. and uh, we were very skeptical about um, all of these different experiences. And we would go in and we would do a, a nice job of uh, skepticism rather than the psychopian. Right, job, exactly. Which is just slander, no matter where. Just slander, and I mean that's uh, they. I mean. <laughs> But clearly, they lie. They lie. That's yeah. right. And thank God for Marcello, Tr- Doctor Truzzi. Exactly. And I am so glad you put him in your your. Oh, your book. he was wonderful. Yes, he was. Truzzi, yeah. He would be one of the first to say, you know, these guys are, you know, I mean, he'd be very nice, nice every time we had uh, gatherings, and he would be. You know, he was a very polite man. Right. But at the same time, you know, he called them when they were caught in some type of. Uh, uh, a lie, and and you know there, that goes back to the '60s. Uh, yeah. uh, even uh, when we used to have the order of the paperclip meeting between myself, Peter Tompkins, and Chris Bird, uh, we we talk about how they were literally um, just going after personalities because they weren't going after the research. They didn't do the research. No, they didn't do the research. In fact, they would make their careers just attacking other people. How can they? How can you say that? No, well, I, I, okay, I take it back. Sorry. Okay, good. It's a good. Yeah, I keep this show clean. Yeah, we got it. And and now, since uh, we get into this aspect of what what's so, what's so good, I almost slipped into a, an Italian incarnate. So what's so good? What's so good about the paranormal? Why why can it be used for anything practical, or is this just pie in the sky? Oh Lord, pie in the get that one. Hey, did you get that one, Logan? The pie in the sky one. I got that. Yeah, but what about psi? And, uh, <laughs> psi or pi in the sky? Or phi? Phi in the sky. But anyway, uh, uh, is there any... deserves a big sigh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize, friends, but it's, I, the reason why I'm enjoying myself so much is because 
over the years, and I, you know, over the years, but, uh, I, I'm trying to think how long we've talked uh, on the radio. I don't know. It's been 91? 90? Yeah, something 91? like that, yeah. Yeah, it's like I've known this man, and I have never met him. That's true. This is crazy. Just over the radio. Yeah. But I assure you I'm up to dress code. I Well, you wouldn't be on this show without it, let me tell you. We look into those things very carefully. We borrowed a few instruments from the CIA, and we can see everything you're wearing. Now, You're so, there by remote viewing. Yeah, I'll let Logan say, talk that about that. into our uh, practical uses of paranormal phenomena. Yeah, Logan, let's get to some of those. Come on. Well, I would like to talk about remote viewing just because it's interesting um, from more of a general general public perspective. Um, the CIA actually poured a lot of money into um, researching the practical implications of paranormal phenomena based on some of the work that the Soviets were doing um, back in the 1960s, and they were concerned that they were gaining an edge on um, harnessing the, the potential, quote-unquote, power of paranormal phenomenon. So... They actually launched um, a program that lasted 30 years, and their main research was looking into remote viewing, which is essentially clairvoyance, um, which is seeing at a distance. Um, And this is uh, gaining information about a location um, or person, but not through telepathic means. Um, So essentially, they had a few people see if they could, for example, locate the... um, or, or see what was going on in a, in a particular location in terms of if weaponry was being made at a particular location or um, if a person could gain access about um, secret information that may not be visible from a satellite or um, was just not, was not visible. So for 30 years, they, um, they, the CIA looked into remote viewing and its implications, and there were some interesting results from that. Yeah, they certainly uh, had some success with locating uh, Saddam Hussein. Exactly. They they had an incredible amount of success. And um, uh, we we mentioned Ingo Swan before. He, he he was involved in that, as you know. He was one of the first people involved as yeah, a viewer. Yes. He was kind of like my teacher, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Except that's why I kept giving him cigars. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, know, you know, I wanted to make sure I got an A. That's and, right. And, that's and, right. You know, that's the best right. way. But... but but, I mean, the fact that the military and the CIA and the Defense Department, they, they were pouring money into this, and they were getting um, uh, results and, you know, information that they couldn't get otherwise um, through remote viewing. Uh, eventually, they gave it up, I think, you know, and went more high-tech, um, you know, putting more emphasis on satellites and, and you know, um, I guess, uh, uh, you know, their, their 100% accurate information on weapons of mass destruction in certain countries. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we know gonna, where that led them. Well, you know, uh, I, I wish we had more time. We, three needed five hours. I can see that right now, and it's all my fault. Uh, actually, it's not. It's your fault. What you, I mean, you know, well, it's never no, my no. fault. It's never the host's fault. Do you want to continue with some practical studies? I mean, well, others? we'd like to, but we got to take a break here. Okay, got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll pick up a, a few more practical studies. Then we'll talk about the. Reincarnation and life after death, and my favorite person in the whole world in this particular research uh, um, was Dr. Ian Stevenson at the University of Virginia. Any, well, anybody who's related to Virginia, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, should be given about the Nobel Peace Prize. That's the Nobel Peace Prize state, so to speak, as far as 21st century radio is concerned. Uh, we'll be back with our guests, Robert and Logan, and the book is... That's it. 
The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research. Published by Tarcher Books, Robert Schock, S-C-H-O-C-H.com, or go to 21stCenturyRadio.com and click on this week's show at the top. Hello, I'm Dean Radin, author of Entangled Minds, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. Uh, this is 21st Century Radio. I'm the alleged Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and our guests are Dr. Robert Schock and Logan Yanovac, Yanovac, yes. And uh, the book is The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research, torture books. And I'm certain that Psychop would want to ban this book, but we're going to allow you to hear a talk about it anyway. And you can go to Robert Schock's dot com Robert Schock that is dot com S C H O C H dot com or go to twenty first century radio dot com and click on this week's show at the top right hand corner. Now we were talking about practical uses of paranormal phenomena and I I do believe um I saw I saw Robert's hand go up just as we, we were about ready to uh, take a break there. Robert, did you have something to say to yeah, the class? Yeah, I'm glad you saw that. That was your remote viewing. That's right. I that's I did a lot right, of training. That's right. Um, no, I mean, it does have practical uses. I was going to say the other um, uh, practical uses that uh, uh, really have gotten some publicity, should we say, or are known are um, uses in healing studies, remote healing studies. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, Larry Dossey wrote an article just for this book on that for us, summarizing um, a lot of evidence, you know, numerous, numerous um very well-credentialed individuals um, carrying out blind studies on uh, the possibility or the use of, um, you know, sometimes people refer to it as prayer, but more than that, um, you know, healing from a distance, I'll use that term. Yeah, well, allow that. That it really does have an effect. It really does have a positive effect. Um, now, how exactly that's working, what the underlying causes are, is another question, but, but um, it's been verified many times. Dr. Um, Dossi, or not sometimes I used to call him Dossi, and I don't think he'd like that. Uh, he uh, has joined us a number of times, and I, I just think his work is extraordinary. It Over is. The past it is. 15, 20 years, uh, that's what is so amazing to me. There are so many important researchers nowadays in comparison back to the, the 60s when it seemed like we were uh, sitting around in a paper bag or something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And, and there's a lot of work being done on this. But, you know, you mentioned people like the debunker, psychops, and whatnot. They, I think, more than anything else, they don't want to admit that there are serious people doing serious research that's above, um, you know, it's above criticism, really, much of it. Well, I, I we believe... about that, too, and then when you look at... Um, you apply the same statistics to the parapsychological research as is applied to other types of scientific research, and, you know, uh, the, it comes out very well in favor of um, the paranormal. I mean, if, if, we, if we had the same evidence, or when we have the same evidence for other types of phenomena, there's no question that they're accepted. That's true. Yeah, that's um, true. I was going to say real quickly. I wanted to mention, and this ties in with the healing, but at a different level. And um, Logan may want to join in on this too. Is something I think that's very important is um, the paranormal phenomena on a personal level, in particular. I think probably serve therapeutic, um, psychological types of functions, bonding functions between, say, married couples or or family members, that type of thing, and. 
uh, I don't think that should be, um, I think that needs to be acknowledged, um, that this is very important. And it's a shame that much of the conventional medical community doesn't acknowledge such things. Or, in fact, if you look at things like um, the straight conventional psychological literature, people that claim to have paranormal experiences, that can actually be used against them mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. make out that they're somehow, I hate to use the term, but crazy, yeah. or that they're, they're suffering um, from some kind of um, you know, detrimental mental problem. Well, if we're still I mean, around... At the level we're at, it's almost like witch hunting. It, well, it is witch hunting. In, yeah, uh, in yeah, my... that, that someone can have a, a, a valid paranormal experience um, and uh, a certain, and again, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent here, but, you know, certain people in the conventional medical profession are so ignorant, I would say, this is me speaking, um, so ignorant of such things that they actually use that as evidence to um, diagnose pathology in them. Correct. Yes, indeed. It's, it's insane. Well, that'll, I think that'll change in about 20 years. I hope. Well, it will, uh, because there, I believe what's happening in all these areas is there's the scientific evidence is, is growing so strong over a period of time exactly. that it's going to be, uh, I don't think they're going to be able to, to change it. I believe that PSYCOP is going to go out of business. I certainly hope so. And I mean, yeah, and it's growing, and I agree with you, it's growing, and that's despite the lack of funding, that's, that's despite right. the uh, suppression, that's despite people like PSYCOPs, who are actively trying to belittle it and, you know, just name-calling and lying and, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the tactics they use are just... They're abysmal. Abysmal. Yeah, actually. they really are. They, they, it's, uh, I've, I've seen it in person, um, and I've, well, we can't, we aren't going to spend any more time on that. Now, no, but people have to be aware of it because, I mean, there's a, they, they do have a public forum and they, they, they unfortunately, I think, do... You know, a Public. decent job of getting their message out of harassing and making fun of anyone dealing with the paranormal. That's right. I think well, it's important that people realize what and who they really are. They have more than a forum. Yeah. They have <laughs> literally friends. You know, I, I'm sure, Bob, you've been on a lot of different television shows and networks yeah, and that exactly. kind of thing. And, and you will see this repeatedly over and over and over again that those people who produce some of the shows that I've been on on History Channel, on Discovery Channel, on National Gear, Geographic Channel, they are literally forced, literally forced to bring in uh, the other side. Exactly, exactly. And, and I don't care about the other side from no, the standpoint if they are skeptical, but these guys aren't skeptical. They're not skeptical. They're, they're what would you call them? Well, they're, 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 the bunkers is one term we use. Well, they're I mean, they, they passionately, I mean, they're fundamentalists. Correct. They passionately believe what they believe, and they close their minds to everything else has nothing to do with science. Exactly, and that's something that we talk about in the book, and uh, Truzy um, uh, talks about in the article that we have from him. Um, and, you know, in fact, something that we, a term we use to try to distinguish this is true skepticism versus the skeptics with a capital S who are not skeptics at all, but simply people who have their own very strong beliefs, which, and their basic belief is there can be nothing valid among paranormal phenomena. Reincarnation and life after death. Logan, you want to begin with this one? Logan? 
let's I'm going to defer to him on that one. Oh, you're okay. Oh, you're going to defer that to me? She's, she's <laughs> deferring her payment. Oh, so, well, I'll start and then let Logan join in. I mean, something you mentioned was Ian Stevenson, who just, uh, he's, he's unfortunately, he's passed away yeah. now recently. Yeah, he certainly has. Yeah, but uh, he did uh, for decades an uh, incredible amount of work really documenting cases of uh, what, he, what he referred to as, by different terms, but apparent cases of um, incarnations, um, reincarnation. And, you know, his typical cases where the most classic case that he would document would be where he had a child, a young child, and many of the cases were from places like India, Burma, um, et cetera. Interestingly, places where reincarnation is more acceptable, um, perhaps for religious reasons or mainstream, you know, among mainstream uh, members of that those particular societies, but where children would apparently remember past lives um, very early on, and then you know talk about it. In some cases, and I find this incredible, and we talk about it in the book, uh, children would actually show. Um, physical traits or characteristics that seem to correspond to the uh, previous life. Um, and they would talk about it. In many cases, uh, they're, apparently they were incarnations of someone who had died within just a few years of when they were born. In many cases, um, from, say, another village within a couple of hundred miles. Um, so it seemed to be a fairly localized thing in many instances that he documented. But what that meant is that he was able to uh, track down, he was able to apparently track down the identities of the former incarnations. Um, Meticulously researched, I think, makes a very strong case. Um, At least something is going on there. Now, whether this is traditional, in my own opinion, whether this is traditional reincarnation, that the traditional concept that some people carry in their heads of everyone being totally reincarnated, um, that's questionable, but certainly he's opening the gates, he's opening the um, possibilities of something happening there, some kind of information being passed on from a deceased person to a new living person. Well, you can imagine how I felt when I first bumped into that little booklet, 20 Cases of that, Suggestive exactly. Reincarnation. Oh, that's a classic, uh, yeah. That, it came out in the 60s. Yeah, yeah yep. it, it just ripped me to pieces. Oh, All of a sudden, absolutely. I realized I thought I thought I knew what the, I thought I knew everything. Right. <laughs> oh, no, but you, you, you knew everything but that. Now you know everything. Yeah, well, almost, yeah. I mean, but it's just amazing to me. And then, of course, I tried to share that with my friends at Hopkins. No way. Oh, no, no. no. Way, they, they won't. I, I don't know if you had the experience. I, I'll have the experience with things like that. They won't even look at it. Well, yes, of course. We're they not, won't even look at it. It's it, like they're, it, it, you know, it, it reminds me of the classic story of Galileo in the 1600s, early 1600s. And people refused to look through the telescope. Well, what about the time when they decided that the, the only way to... To count the horses, the teeth in the horse's mouth is to open their mouth. Uh, that took decades, yeah, centuries. Exactly. Took centuries, friends. Yeah. Um, we're not kidding. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you no, know, exactly. they they discussed this philosophically, and someone said, "Well, why don't we open the mouth open and the mouth and count uh, them. no, lock that kid up. We don't want that. We we, we, we got like yeah. you know." But, but that's the thing with uh, studies like um, by Stevenson in particular, so meticulous, so so um, yeah. Yeah, he really laid the foundation, and uh, his works that came. I mean, there there are so many publications. 
uh, the, the, come out the two volume set. Well, we can't. We'll hold them up to the microphone another time. Right. Now we we need to take our final break on Twenty First Century Radio, and uh, we will be back with Dr. Robert Schock and Logan Yanovuk. Yanovak, yes, uh, almost got it right there. The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research. Tarcher Books, robertshock.com, or go to 21stCenturyRadio.com and click on this week's show at the top right-hand corner. Hello, this is Uri Geller, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. I'm what's left of Dr. Bob Hieronymus in this incarnation. Yes, it's true. I'm just a lowly Ph.D., but that's the way it goes. took five and a half years, and I don't know how many bucks to get it, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Now, our guests are Robert and Logan, and uh, their last names are secret. We're keeping them secret because we don't want them beat up as they leave the studio tonight. Uh, we got a lot of psychopians out there who like to get their hands on these folks. And the book is called The Parapsychology Revolution, a concise anthology of paranormal and psychical research published by Tarcher Books. And please go to Robert Schock, S-C-H-O-C-H dot com to check the oil, as we used to say. And um, in the limited time that we've got, if paranormal phenomena are real... What accounts for them? Who would like to take them on this? Would you like to start with this, Logan? I'll I'll start by saying that when it uh, when it comes right down to it, I think we there is no clear theory of of psi at this point in time. But I do think that, um, and many others think that this doesn't mean it should um, be rejected, and that it just means that we don't have a clear understanding of its parameters, um, but that it shouldn't be dismissed as. Um, as a very, very important um, line of inquiry and something that has large implications for our understanding of the world and of our interactions with um, others and of ourselves. So, But in terms of the... Um, there are several theories out there, um, and Robert will uh, we'll talk about those a little more. Yeah, yeah, Robert. Yeah, I was going to say, um, that's a really good question. In fact, that's one of the classic questions that's uh, proposed by the debunkers, and they think you've, they've got you when they say, well, what accounts for it if it's real and there's no universal answer? What they seem to forget is there's lots of phenomena in science that we really don't know how what the underlying mechanism of the phenomenon is. In fact, when it comes right down to it, if you even think about gravity, there's still a lot of arguments as to what causes gravity. Are they gravitons or is it a warping of space-time? Etc. I mean, theories for phenomena come and go. That being said, um, I would say that really the two most popular theories for the physical basis of psi right now are variations either on quantum mechanical theory. Um, well, actually, I'll say the three most popular ones, either quantum mechanical theory, um, thermal fluctuations that may be causing it, or um, various forms of electromagnetic theory. So the question really is, how can this information and potential energy be transmitted um, through channels that are not among the known senses, that are not among sort of classical physics as we now know them? Uh, but as we learn, for instance, about more about quantum physics, we know of concepts like non-locality, um, entanglement. In fact, you just gave away a book um, that uses that term in the title. 
um, entangled minds. In the anthology, we have a couple of pieces, one by Paul Stevens that reviews uh, the major theories um, for accounting for, trying to account for psi phenomena. And uh, we also have an article by the physicist Gene Burns, who uh, really discusses this whole issue of what are the physical aspects of psi that we need to account for in any theory, how might various theories account for it, particularly uh, quantum mechanical theories. And I'd point out that um, uh, Brian Josephson, for instance, a uh, Nobel Prize-winning physicist, has come out very strongly in a number of papers suggesting that um, quantum mechanical theory may, in fact, elucidate a lot of psi phenomena, and even to the point he and others have suggested that by certain interpretations of quantum physics, you would actually predict certain types of psi phenomena and then go searching for them, even if we didn't know about them already. Um, well, the he, bottom line is, I I don't think it's it's. I think we're actually getting closer and closer to having a comprehensive theory of what may be causing these. Well, um, there are a lot of things that are I found very impressive in this book, and I was so good. I'm so glad to to uh, catching up on John, the late John Beloff, and I've never. Oh yes, he was wonderful. And uh, that the uh, I think I started with the relentless. Oh, is that the relentless question? Yes, that's right. It was the relentless question. That's right. That's right. 1990. That's um, right. And so, uh, but I very much enjoyed reading this again because, uh, friends, you know, this is not like it didn't happen two weeks ago or two months ago. It's been going on for decades. Now he has um, some basic approaches to positions that have been taken toward toward the paranormal phenomena, which I'd like to go down sure. now. There were five of them, and I think we have enough time to cover this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, would you like to start with that, Rob, and then we'll ask Logan? Yeah, you want me to pick up with that? Yes, please. Yeah, one, one, and this is the classic psychop position, if you would, is total disbelief. And even to the point, you know, many of the debunkers and whatnot, they even are to the point where um, they won't look at the evidence, basically. You know, they, they just know that the paranormal doesn't exist, and essentially, and they said this in print, they have had the audacity to suggest that there's no such thing as the paranormal, there can be no evidence for the paranormal. Anyone that claims they have evidence for the paranormal is either really naive and stupid and um, being duped, or they're a charlatan themselves. And, you know, they've even suggested that, you know, if you have a bunch of people working in a lab supposedly producing paranormal results, they must all be in on it. Well, of course you know, they it's are. It's ridiculous. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah, of course. It's their brothers, and, it's the their truth, brothers right? and sisters, you know, their brothers and sisters doing books and papers. They want them to sell, so they got to do it. Yeah, exactly, yeah, you know. exactly. It's like all these parapsychologists make so much money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm making money hand over fist. Let yeah, me tell exactly, you. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, total all... disbelief um, is. But is, so that's is the that's first. a very classic yeah. one, and yeah. and basically, you know, it's closing your mind to it, mm-hmm. um, and you just won't even look at the evidence. Then, then the next one, which I find quite amazing too, is uh, what's we 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 coined the term paranormal insignificance. Um, and this is the position that Beloff talks about. And actually, um, William James even suggested, apparently in jest, um, back in the late 19th century. And that's the concept that, okay, the 
evidence for paranormal phenomena is overwhelming. So instead of just dismissing it, you just sort of wave your hands and say it's not important. Yeah. You know, how yeah. it happens once in a blue moon, something happens. Okay, we'll admit that it really does happen. It really is genuine, but it's not important. It doesn't really change our view of the world. It doesn't change our view of nature. It ain't, it's totally dismissive. Um, and, you know, in any other scientific field, any other endeavor, you couldn't get away with that type of attitude. No, you couldn't. I mean, you couldn't get away with either of these attitudes. I know, but they do. It's really they ridiculous. And the, media, and the media just allows them to keep on and doesn't question them. That's what I found so yeah. despicable. The media is so ignorant and arrogant in this area. Exactly. They, they, they already assume that these guys have to be right because they're so-called... Uh, uh, skeptics. They, there's a certain skeptical, but that obviously we don't believe that skepticism at all. At least I don't, and I know you don't either. Yeah, exactly. So well, we got I think that most people start at, and stop, or are never even exposed to the idea. So they they just linger in total disbelief, or they just don't understand. They think of you know just UFOs or crop circles, or they they add all these different phenomena into the the mix or the pot of what they think of as paranormal. So they're just confused and don't even know, they, they don't even go there. So I think that's where most of the general public lingers in terms of their understanding of paranormal phenomena or their belief in paranormal phenomena. Oh, exactly, and tie in with what Logan was saying, even the Psychops people who, you know, they claim they're so bright and they're above everyone else, they will, in many cases, they will lump a whole bunch of things together, including a bunch of studies, et cetera. Then they'll point to one study that they disagree with or one study where maybe everyone admits there was fraud involved, and they'll use that as an excuse to dismiss everything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just dishonest. That's their tradition, all right. Now, scientific dishonest. monism is the third. Scientific monism, yeah, and that ties in. I want We might as well talk with maybe both quickly, substantial dualism. And the first scientific monism is that if there are paranormal phenomena um, and if they're real, eventually we're going to have to or we will be able to incorporate them into traditional science or maybe we extend traditional science to incorporate the paranormal phenomena. Um, one way we might see that to a certain extent, for instance, if someone coming out of quantum physics can develop, you know, extend quantum physics or extend physics, we'll use that term, to include all paranormal phenomena, um, that would be uh, essentially a form of uh, scientific monism. And arguably, it's speculation, arguably um, it might, such phenomena may start being accepted more widely if, in fact, there's a good uh, theory behind them that ties in with scientific scientific monism, just in the sense that um, it's it's appealing to many conventional scientists that science should be unified. Well, the fourth, uh, since we've got about two or three minutes, right? Left the fourth here. is substantial dualism, where there's basically accepting that paranormal for are real, but there may actually be a dualism between the physical sciences physical sciences, and what we could call consciousness, or psycho, psychic mental sciences. Almost fact, a different order of reality. Exactly. Two different orders of reality. That parallels the physical reality. The mm -hmm. physical and the mental or spiritual consciousness. And many people uh, along these lines actually suggesting that the consciousness comes first, is prior. 
Yeah, it's well. primary, and in matter and material world that we're so familiar with is actually outgrowth of consciousness. The last is the theory of synchronicity. We got about a minute oh, to cover that, this. My, this is my favorite topic. Yeah, yeah. Synchronicity is basically uh, there's no easy way to summarize in one minute. It's basically that there are correspondences, meaningful correspondences uh, between different aspects of the world. And when I say the world, I mean in the Both most the broad sense. In the outer world. The inner world, the outer world, consciousness in the physical world, consciousness between different individuals. Now, importantly, Carl Jung was very much a promoter of this view, and, and um, his own research um, uh, gives a lot of support to this meaningfulness. And this actually goes back to the ancient concept of as above, so below. Um, as within the microcosm, so in the macrocosm. So yes. really stressing the unity of the cosmos, including humans, as part of that. Well, guys, this is an important work. I hope that uh, you'll get a call from George Norrie and Shirley MacLaine to come on their show. We'll drop them a note suggesting that this is really an important work here. It's called uh, The Parapsychology Revolution, The Concise Anthology of the Paranormal and Psychical Research, Torture Books, Go to the website Robert Schock, S-C-H-O-C-H dot com. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. And I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus. And remember to sit up straight.